It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Uh, Rich, on this particular complete story, we are going to talk to our audience, which is essentially, I suppose, a Christian audience. And it always, it always comes to me at Christmas that the pro-life story is so relevant and so plain and so clear. So we're going to talk about that with our audience at this Christmas season with somebody that is just plain delightful. Yes, she is. I'm looking forward to this. Kristen Hawkins. We've had her on The Complete Story at other times. But, uh, but she's just delightful. Now, let me tell you, folks. She is the president of Students for Life of America, and she can certainly, she can certainly, uh, you know, uh, talk in ways that parents and uh, even young parents with small children should be thinking about. But certainly, parents of high school age kids and college kids and people maybe even going to college. Now, let me just read this here. She said. Uh, uh, dear Mr. Bot, she said, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had over the years with concerned parents and grandparents. They come up to me to tell me the same disheartening story that their grandchildren or their children went away to college and they were pro-life at that time. And when they came home for Christmas break, they proudly, the children proudly declared that they were now pro-choice. And she said, I've had the exact same thing happen even in my own family. So, Kristen Hawkins, we're just so glad to have you on The Complete Story today. And all I can start out by saying is welcome. Thank you guys for having me again. It's great to be with you. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, Could you tell us first of all about Students for Life of America? Sure. Students for Life is a national pro-life organization we currently serve more than 1,100 groups on high school, college campuses across the country. In all 50 states, we have full-time team members who are spread out. Uh, our mission is to equip uh, this generation of young people to abolish abortion in their lifetime. Uh, we know that in order to, to end abortion, we're going to have to change our culture. Yeah. And changing our culture starts with impacting our young people. Yeah. All right, now why? Why? And let me just ask that plain old raw question. Why? Why do you want to do this? Well, we know abortion is the destruction of an innocent human life. It not only kills a child that's never had a chance uh, to live, it betrays his or her mother, and it can destroy her entire family. Uh, this is something that's been a scourge on our nation for more than 40 years, yeah. where we are literally a nation of wounded people. Um, you know, more than 57 million abortions have been committed in our country. I mean, that's almost in, it's an unthinkable number. You know, it's about 2,700 abortions every single day in our country. Um and those are children that have just been snuffed out, that have been said that they were just too much of an inconvenience. Yeah. Well, and I think anyone who's ever seen an ultrasound, you know, especially a 3D or a 4D ultrasound of their child or grandchild, uh, brother or sister, knows 
that what's inside of her is not simply a blob of tissue, but a unique, whole, living human person. No. Indeed, you can well, hear I'll, the heart beating. I'll tell you, inconvenient and unplanned and all of these things, this is exactly what Mary uh, was in. That's when right. She was, when she was, for goodness sakes, great with child, and then riding, for goodness sakes, on a donkey, as we are told, into the city where her, where her, uh, her fiancé could pay his taxes. Yeah. Uh, right. So it was, and it certainly it was a it was a surprise to Joseph. So everybody is seeing talk about an unplanned pregnancy. I'm talking about an unplanned pregnancy, and so on and so forth. Now let me just go back here because I read within the last ten days, and I think it was the last week, of a 16 year old uh, young girl, who uh, no one thought, no one, no one knew she was pregnant. No one thought she was pregnant. That was just something, except she knew. And then the baby came unexpectedly, and it was a live birth, and she didn't know what to do, and she was frightened, and she was confused, and she was scared. She didn't want anybody to find out. She ended up throwing the baby out the window. Now, you could say that's an outrageous thing, but, you know, this is a 16-year-old girl in the face of calamity. And it was then later that her mother found out, and now that 16-year-old girl is being prosecuted, and uh, the courts are coming down, and this and that and the other thing. And I'm thinking, well, well, how did our culture prepare her for no better thought than what she ended up doing at that right. time? And isn't what she did the same thing that Planned Parenthood does for big dollars every day in America by the tens and tens of thousands? That's exactly right. And that's really, you know, we have a, I just got off a meeting this morning we had with our team on our Pregnant on Campus initiative. And that's really to train all of our students or life groups across the country in how to talk to their peers on campus who are facing these unplanned pregnancies, uh, how, to, how to show them that there is another way, and kind of and how to walk with them. I think that's something that, you know, we, we boast a lot of times, you hear the media boasting about how progressive our culture is and alternative lifestyles, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to being a single woman on a college or high school campus and being pregnant, there is no tolerance for you and there's no tolerance for this new lifestyle that you'll have of being an unmarried mother. And really, you have this, you know, we have this responsibility of how do we help her? How do we help her see that it's not her life or the life of her child? And that's because that's really, you know, when I'm out in front of the abortion facilities or our teams are out there praying, when we talk to women who are moments before going in for that abortion, they're not telling us what we hear in the media that it's a blob of tissue, it's nothing, you know, this is just nothing. I just have to get this nothing removed. She knows that she's going in to pay someone to kill her child, but she feels like it's her or her child's life, and she's making a decision to protect herself. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what I think is such sadness, where it's not that she doesn't know what she's doing. She knows what abortion is, yeah. but even though she knows what it does, she still feels like she has to choose. And you see, and you see society gives her no insulation. Society gives her no preparation for the meaning of life, the value of life. 
Well, how precious life is, certainly to the life of the little child, the little one. I just realized just a few weeks ago, I've heard the word fetus over and over and over again. And then Rich reminded me that is a Latin term, is it not, Rich, for baby. And you see, over the years, we hear this, oh, fetus, that's just a fetus. And that's just a fetus. That's just this. That's just that. And all it is is a tricky way to get people to forget what we're really talking about. But the Latin term for a little baby is fetus. Is that right, Rich? That's what I understand. Is that right, Kristen? It's young one, yes. Young one. Young one. Kristen, let me ask you a question about young people growing up today, because I've heard it said that this new generation, the millennials, are more pro-life than the older generations, like like mine, the baby boomers and so forth. Yet, yet they're going to college, and before they come, when they come back, they're they're. They're changed. And we hear the same type of thing about people raised in the church, young people raised in the church. They go away to college. They lose their faith. And it's the same process at work, I suppose. But tell us about the work of Students for Life to get a hold of them before they're thrown into situations where they're forced to question every belief. Well, and maybe raise young people. I mean, we're talking, for goodness sake, what is the responsibility of the college and the faculty and the adults that are planning yeah. the education of kids that are just out of high school, for heaven's sake? Maybe they ought to take charge and say, listen, but, we've got a lot of binge drinking that's sure, going on sure. in this college. There's a lot of party-hardy going on. This isn't good for young people. But the thing that and I've so heard— So you have a cultural mess— that adult society and certainly the churches need to wake up to and start addressing it long before the kid is off to college and then coming home for Christmas vacation. I've heard with the younger generation that we're winning, that they're more pro-life, and uh, certainly every child that's killed is a tragedy. But aren't we making progress? We are making progress. This generation is pro-life. In fact, it's the first youth generation since we started polling on the issue of abortion in our country that reports to be pro-life and that in many polls we poll uh, more pro-life than parents and grandparents. Um, and, and it's really just very simple. It's, do you think abortion is wrong? Do you think abortion should be illegal? And that's something that really even surprised me this summer where we've been winning this, do you think abortion is wrong question with young people. But we've always seemed to kind of lose the do you think abortion should be legal because it's that, that mantra of, well, I don't like it, I don't wouldn't have an abortion, but I can't tell someone else what to do. And actually this summer, two polls came out, one from our own Institute for Pro-Life Advancement that showed young people, not only do they think it's wrong, when asked should it be illegal, the majority now say in most cases, yes, it should be illegal. Uh, that's a huge, that's huge for us. And, and that's really where... You know, if, if I'm Planned Parenthood, if I'm the abortion Goliath and I'm trying to sell my abortions, this is why they're focusing so much on our young people in our high school and college campuses because they've always kind of relied on young people to push their ideas forward, but that's not the same case anymore. So now they're fighting back harder than we've ever seen, really trying to uh, normalize abortion. You guys saw this this year in the election. Uh, Planned Parenthood, they, they worked with the Democratic Party. They changed the, the Democratic Party actually changed its platform to say that they wanted abortions being, all abortions being taxpayer funded. That's a long standing that's had bipartisan support in yeah. D.C. of well, no can, taxpayer funding for yeah. abortions. Can I say there's a lot of Christian people probably listening right now 
who didn't really take note of the Democrat Party and their candidate was Hillary Clinton and Planned Parenthood or the abortion industry has never had a better friend. And I'm not making partisan political comments here at all, but for goodness sake, you've got to put first things first. And if life doesn't come to the top of the list, I wonder what would. (laughs) Hey, uh, I mean, that's really their extremism. We were protesting an event uh, in September. It was called the All Access Tour. And it it was a campaign sort of event for the abortion industry. And they were advocating abortion anytime, anywhere, taxpayer funded and that's why they're calling it all access and there was all these campaigns on campuses you know saying abortion is a social good you know it's a good thing to have an abortion and they've really started fighting back because they know they've just lost this narrative with this generation Kristen tell us about the resources that we have now for people to learn about how to be an advocate for life Uh, there's there's this online course about equipped for life tell us about that yeah, I mean, the organizations like ours, like we go to campuses and we train students. We do a national conference. And, and in fact, any person of any age can go to our national conference. It's in January. Uh, we have one in Washington, D.C., and one in San Francisco. Go to sflalive.org, and you can sign up and, and go. Uh, you can watch it online. We'll be streaming one of them uh, via Facebook. Um, SFLA, so that's like for Students for Life America. Yeah, SFLA Live. Okay. So that's a great way to get involved. And that's for pro-lifers of all ages. There's uh, the Equipped for Life courses from the Equal Rights Institute. I happen to serve on their advisory board. Um, we work a lot with the Equal Rights Institute, and we help them put together this training program. It's an online course where you can do it at your own pace. But it teaches you how to become a better advocate, not only how to think about this issue and um, clearly and talk about this issue um, and have the right answers you know, to those hard questions, but it also teaches you a lot about how you should behave and you know how should you react when you're when you're asked questions. Because a lot of times we find on the campuses, it's not necessarily what we say; it's how we say it. Okay, let's talk about that then. Your young person has just gone away to college. They're back home for Christmas, and uh, they've always been pro-life, but now they come back, and at a Christmas table, they say, you know what, I'm, I think I'm pro-choice now. How do you talk to them? I think the, the, the thing that we have to remember is when the kids go to college, oftentimes they, they know abortion's wrong. They kind of have that icky feeling that we all have about abortion. Yeah, well, they know a lot of things are wrong when they go to college, and the college <laughs> faculty and the administrators, they don't, seem to, they don't seem to realize their own responsibility as adults. But you've, already, right. said, and you've already said the problem is the parents and the grandparents' generation. So these millennials or these, these young people are having to figure it out for themselves, and that's a shame. And that's right. I mean, I remember going when I went to college, I knew what I believed, but had I not been able to defend myself, my views could have been radically shifted because that's what happens. They, they know what they believe. They know that they're Christians. They know that they're pro-life. But when they get to college, they're going to be tested on it. A professor, you know, I went to a very small school, so, you know, we had open discussions all the time, and your professors, if they knew you were conservative or a Christian, they would call on you on purpose just to try to make you look stupid. I had friends who rushed for sororities and fraternities, and then part of rush is you get paired with a mentor, you know, a big sister, a big brother, 
and they're three years older than you, and they've had time to think about these issues and be indoctrinated by the administration, by the professors. And that's what happens. As soon as that young person gets to college, it doesn't matter what they say they believe. If they're called on it and they don't know how to defend it, that's how we lose them. Because as soon as they can't defend what they believe, that plants the seed of doubt in their mind. Well, maybe I am wrong. So this, Either is no such thing as God. Or maybe yeah. I'm just not uh, firm enough in what I believe in the depths of my heart, but I'm not prepared to defend it. Isn't that not only the work of the family and the preparation of a youngster, but isn't it the work of the church as well right. to prepare right. the family? And when the churches ignore it, or somehow they take the position, everybody knows we're pro-life, so we can't take time to even discuss that or take it seriously. I just feel that is a default. And anyway, but go ahead. No, you're exactly right. I wish I could just take you, Mr. Bott, to all these conversations I have with administrations where they'll tell us, oh, we don't need the students for life group at our high school. Mm. We're a Catholic or Christian high school, and everyone here is pro-life. I'm like, great, that's awesome. That's probably not true, but I'm glad you believe that. However, as soon as your kids get to college, they're going to be under attack. We actually started a program this year called Faith Foundations, and the point of it is to get into Christian high schools and to allow us to start groups and start training these young kids how to defend their beliefs, because that's a battlefield. And that battlefield can be very good for young people. It's where I got a lot of my convictions. and was Once I had to stand up for what I believed in, and I had to research everything on my own and figure out why do I believe this way, it made me stronger in my faith. But for many students, that just simply doesn't happen. And so you have to, as a parent, as a grandparent, as an elder or deacon in a church, you've got to be thinking every single high school senior that I'm coming in contact with is getting ready to go into a battle. Kristen, what are the best arguments for life that you've found to be the most effective in talking to young people? Well, yeah, before you say that, life is the opposite of death, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, you would think that would be a good enough reason, but it sadly isn't. you know, we, it, I think the best arguments will depend on the person and the person you're talking with and their personal experiences with abortion. I think that's something we have to remember. When we're talking with people about abortion, we have to take in mind you could be talking with someone who's had an abortion. Or more. Participated, yes. And so we have to be very careful and try to, and that's what we always talk about, you know, being an active listener. Don't be thinking about what you're going to say. Truly listen to what they're saying when they're saying it. Um, because that's when you can really hone down, because usually for most people it comes down to one or two issues uh, as to why they can't flip that switch and say that they're pro-life. I think, you know, really uh, for us, a lot of times that works on college campuses, we talk about the fairness of it. Millennials are really big into fairness, things being fair. I mean, it's just like your children, you know. Mom, that wasn't fair. He got to play the PlayStation longer than I did. And when I think we really can make this case very easily, showing that this isn't fair, um, that these are human beings, and it isn't fair to give them a chance at life. Um, so that we've seen work really well. We've, we've, we use the human rights argument a lot, that this is a human rights issue. Uh, one issue that one way we've been really starting a lot of conversations the past two years has been focusing on the industry, focusing on how this is an industry that isn't about, you know, women's choice and helping women. 
this is an abortion industry that grosses over a billion dollars a year. That's making money. That's preying off of her. It plays off, you know, naturally millennials as a whole are um, very weary of big corporations. Uh, they're very weary of advertising. I mean, the advertising um, world has changed to market to this generation um, to make it less, you know, you're hearing from such and such company about the product. Instead, you hear from your friend who is using that product. Um, and so that's why, you know, I, the, the, when we talk a lot about Planned Parenthood's business, and how they say that they're helping women, but they're really not helping women. And that there's all these other federally qualified health centers and pregnancy centers yeah. out there that help women and aren't making any money. And they're not doing anything with politics, and they don't have PACs and lobbying arms. Um, that's, that's a great way to kind of plant that seed of doubt in that person's yeah. mind. Because no one really truly likes abortion. Everyone kind of has an icky feeling with abortion. I mean, there might be some rarities, and I've probably met most of them, but most people, they don't like abortion. They tolerate it, but they don't like it. And they, they tend to view the abortion industry as, well, they're just there to help women. They're just there if, if there's a problem, and, you know, people don't like, to, don't like to, to know that abortion happens 2,600 times a day. Oh, people, man. people get very angry about that because they like to think of it as rare, and they don't like to think of themselves as permitting that. So once you can show them that it's not rare, you can show them that it's an industry, and that industry doesn't really care about women. You've really planted a huge seed of doubt in their mind. Yeah. Uh, folks, listen, now we're visiting with Kristen Hawkins. Kristen was hired in 2006 to lead Students for Life of America. That's S F. L A, and since launching Students for Life of America, full-time operation, Kristen has helped more than triple the number of campus pro-life groups in the United States, from 181 to almost 700 in 49 states. I want to ask you two things: um, Are you welcome in these college campuses or high schools? I mean, it's getting worse. And everything that I understand, some of these high schools won't even acknowledge Christmas anymore, for goodness sakes. What a stupid thing that is. What do they think this American holiday is about? But to tell us a little bit about access, and then also I want you to tell your own story. Well, I think it's, you know, when we go to public schools, obviously we're not opened. There's not open arms waiting for us when we, when we arrive. Um, but they realize that we have the certain we have certain rights to be there. Um, so you know we face normal challenges uh, that any other you know Christian or conservative group would face. Of oh, we lost your paperwork ten months ago and we haven't found it, or um, you have to pay for security officers out of your own pockets to have this event because people might get rowdy. Um, and so that's why we work with pretty good lawyers who um, can advise our students that th this is a right, that they can't force you to do this, they can't make you pay for this. And we spend a lot of our time equipping students. We have more of a challenge when it comes to uh, private schools, honestly. Uh, Christian school, private schools are very difficult. Y wait, wait a minute, you have more trouble with private schools and Christian schools. Isn't that absurd? Isn't that something? I imagine they say, well, we can... You can just push you out and say, no, 
uh, with capital letters because we're private. But for goodness sake, these are the very schools that say they specialize in doing what's right and better uh, and, and the opposite. I mean, that always sounds to me like such an absurdity, but it's true. It is. It's true because, you know, not everyone who works in the administration of the Christian university is going to be pro-life or even be Christian, to be honest with you. So normally we faced off against those people. Um, you know, they're the ones delaying applications or we're told, well, you can have a group, but you're not allowed to do, you can't go out and wear our school sweatshirts when you go and pray in front of the abortion facility because that can look bad on our university. Or you can't have... And yet it's a Christian school. You might hurt people's feelings. Yeah. Well, give us your own story. Well, my own story, um, it's not that exciting. <laughs> you know what? Everybody's story is exciting because it's their story. See, God brought you from somewhere to this moment. That's right. And you have your own children. See, you sound like you sound. your voice is so young. Now, my voice sounds like I'm 109 and I'm not quite that old yet. <laughs> but your voice sounds like you're a teenager and yet you're not. But you have the joy of the Lord in your heart. And uh, But tell us your story. Thank you. Thank you for that. No, I, um, I was raised in a Christian home. I uh, didn't know a lot about abortion. Uh, my mom reminds me that she took me to pro-life walks when I was little. I don't remember them. Um, when I was 15, though, a woman at my church had been uh, working part-time as an accountant for a pregnancy resource center. And she knew I was looking for some volunteer opportunities uh, in the summer. And she said, hey, why don't you come and be my assistant? Uh, and I was like, sure, a women's center. I like women. This sounds great. Um, I had no idea what a pregnancy resource center was. Really, uh, it, it was a life-changing experience walking into that clinic that day, and all the women there were so excited to have me because I was the same age um, and even older uh, than most of the girls who were coming into the pregnancy resource center for help. Like, and you were 15. I was 15, yeah. And so I had kind of a unique experience. They, uh, you know, I did the, the usual grunt work of, reorganizing the supply room and fi firing up the 1995 PC and trying to get an, a newsletter with clip art, and that was very exciting for them. But, well, they ended up training me to be a counselor. Uh, so I, you know, sat and I read everything I could about sex and abortion, STDs, you know, all that, all that stuff. And then I started counseling the girls who were coming into the center, thinking they were pregnant and giving the pregnancy tests and, and helping them talk through their decisions. Uh, and that was just, I just remember, you know, that first week I was watching all these VHS tapes, and it was, there was a tape of Bernard Nathanson, the, the former abortionist who helped found the NARAL Pro-Choice America. It was one of the men reason, he's one of the reasons why Betty Friedan talked about abortion in the second edition of Feminist Mystique. He was an abortionist. He admitted to, I think, aborting over 40 or 50 thousand uh, lives and then became pro-life. And, and that, and that made an impression upon you. You're, you were 15, 16 at that point and that was um, because Bernard Nathanson, he's the one that produced a silent screen. Yes. And, uh, but that made an impression on you. Now as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking you must have had pretty nice mom and dad because they were getting you at that young age to get involved. Yep. They were. Uh, you know, I believe he became they, they a believer in Jesus, too, didn't the, he? The pro-life activist that I became. Yeah. Bernard Nathanson, he became a believer in Jesus, too, didn't he? That's right. And yet, and yet in his previous, he was the founder of NARAL, 
National Abortion Rights Action League, and all that sort of thing. But tell me now, you mentioned in the start of this, because people who have had abortions, why there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of, of, of thought, you know, what on earth have I done? How bad have I been? And so on and so forth. And you deal with that, but the, the forgiveness of God is available. I want you to talk about that, because right now it's the Christmas season, That's and right. the first of the year, I want you to talk about that, that no one is condemning anyone, and the grace of God and His forgiveness is there for each of us. That's exactly right. That's why He was sent to this earth as a little baby, to die for our sins and to and to give us the opportunity to receive that grace and to spend eternal life with him and his Father in heaven. And that's, you know, when we're out on campuses and we're talking to men and women who are, who've had an experience with abortion, it's not to judge them, it's not to yell at them, it's to hear their story and to hopefully set them on the path for healing. Um, because that's what's so wrong. We, we think about the abortion industry and they, and they talk about, this is easy and you know immediately after you might have some questions but over the long course of your life you're going to be look back at this experience of having this abortion you're going to be thankful for it Mm. and so many women don't feel thankful for their abortion they regret their abortion but it's but it's not talked about it's not you know it's considered uh, impolite to talk about your abortion experiences in in many audiences yeah. And the abortion industry actually tells you that there's something wrong with you if you feel anything other than, you know, joy or happiness at your abortion. All right, we've been talking, we've been visiting with Kristen Hawkins and um, Students for Life of America. Give us your website really quick because we got to get out of here. Studentsforlife.org Students, that's plural, forlife.org Kristen, God bless you. God bless you and God bless your family. And um, Happy New Year, and have a blessed Christmas. Thank you. You too. God bless. This is Dick Bott with this chapter, The Complete Story, as a public service, by the way, and I'll see you later. 